Okay, so I'm really glad you're here. They're going to jump in and talk about a bunch of uh, interesting stuff. Um, uh, continuing adventures of the letter Bays inside the letter Pei, and, and uh, interesting variations of that. And, um, and then also, um, we had this week, we, we were talking about uh, the whole concept of, of, of guarding our tongue, and this whole notion of uh, saras, what is that? This was, it's translated in English as, as leprosy. It wasn't exactly leprosy, but it was a physical ailment that came um, based on a, a spiritual reason. In other words, if, if someone spoke Lashon Hara, they, they misused speech. They could get these, 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 these spots or this leprosy, and, and it would start on a person's house, and then it would move to their, to their clothes, and then onto their skin, and they had to go through a purification process for this. And we don't have this disorder anymore, and the sages explain that the reason why we don't is because we've actually become sort of like lower in spirituality, and so therefore we're not as susceptible to this as we once were. So it's sort of an ironic thing that it's, it's sort of like a bad thing that we're not getting this disorder. And um, if you think about it, there's, um, there, there, there are parallels that you can make uh, in, in our own lives uh, relating to this, which is that sometimes, like, for instance, um, I, I don't watch that much TV, not really for religious reasons, I just don't find time for it, and I just uh, usually fall asleep if I'm watching. So, so and, and movies are hard to get to, and again, it's, it's not, nothing so religious, but I just end up not seeing too much. As a result, if I see something that's um, very emotional, I'm likely to cry like a baby <laughs> because I, 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 I am not desensitized. Like, you know, if you see tragedy in front of your face, you know, you will react to it. But if you watch all of the time, then it's sort of like, eh, whatever it is. So, so it's, this is also true on a soul level in terms of tsaras. Because we've become more jaded spiritually and we've sort of dropped spiritually, we're not susceptible to the same type of things that, that we had been um, in earlier generations. So, so one important thing when we talk about um, Lashon Hara, uh, you know, this sort of evil speech, whatever it is, some, there are different categories of speech. And one of the great things... Um, I heard when a rabbi say, I'm not sure who it was, but one of, the, one of the great things about the Jewish people is that Judaism is the only religion that has incredibly detailed laws of how to speak. Like, that's actually unique to Judaism. Like, other traditions will have, don't say harmful things, or don't be mean, or don't gossip, things like this. But the level to which it's, it's defined in Torah is incredibly accurate. Is, I mean, incredibly detailed. And, um, of course, the, the, the modern master of this was the Chofetz Chaim. And you would think that, okay, if someone is so on top of this and really knows all the halachas, that means he'll probably not talk at all. So he was known for giving hours and hours and hours long talks. So, so one shouldn't think that if they learn um, the, the laws of speaking properly, that the end result will be that they'll stop speaking. That's not true at all. Um, you know, uh, we, so, so let me just go into it a little bit, because one of the sort of surprising things, and it might sound even a little counterintuitive, but one of the surprising things about 
the laws of lush and horror, which is just one, one category of, of guarding our speech, even though it's, it's come to take on in popular conversation to be the, the, the umbrella term. But it isn't. It's just actually one specific category. But I'll say it very simply. Just because something is true doesn't mean you're allowed to say it. <laughs> now, that's, that's kind of surprising. Like, you could say, well, wait a second, that guy is a thief. He has been convicted, right? But just because he is, in fact, a thief doesn't mean you can walk around saying, see that guy over there, he's a big thief. Yeah, that's, that's called lush and hara. You're not allowed to say it. Now, there are specific instances you should know where one is permitted to say something like that. Let's say, for instance, someone says, hey, you know that guy, I'm about to go into business with him. What do you think? Is he a good guy? You know, then all of a sudden the, the laws become much different. Or, you know something? That girl or that guy seems really interesting as someone who might be, uh, you know, a, a good marriage partner. You know, what can you say about them? And again, in, in those instances, the, the, the laws become a little bit more open because you can't, you, can't, you can't be a willing accomplice to put someone in with someone who's not right for them. However, there are also very detailed laws in, in those instances, and you have to talk to a rabbi about situations like that. It doesn't mean that it's a free-for-all in, in, in that, and you can just say anything. But, but one should just understand the general parameters of such a thing. But anyway, so the headline that I'm trying to say to you here right now is, just because something is true doesn't mean that you have permission to say it necessarily. Okay? So, about another person. So, very important to know. Okay, now, there are, there's a sacrifice as part of the purification process. Is if, if a person gets saras, this sort of um, leprosy-type ailment, and interestingly, it goes like this. You're supposed to bring, as part of the curing process, you're supposed to bring two birds, okay? Now, one bird gets killed, it's sort of sacrificed, and the other bird gets let free. And I saw the Balaturim has a very, very interesting comment like this. And it's a little bit counterintuitive because, because, and this is why you really have to study Torah. You really have to learn Torah as it's been taught. Because, you know, just if you say to me, well, what's the, what's the, the bird that gets set free? That's good, right? The bird that gets killed, that's bad, right? Well, you have to know how to darshan things properly. You have to know how to explain things properly. Just as a side note, before I get to the explanation of this, one should know there's, um, if you're into dreams and you're into dream interpretation, there is a fascinating compendium in the, in the Gomorrah itself. It's, it's uh, in around page 55 in Gomorrah Brachas that goes through um, the, the Talmud's explanation of s- symbolic things in dreams. And some dreams that you would like wake up and go, what a horrible dream. You look it up in the Talmud, it's like a great dream. You know, so there are, there are things that are very surprising and counterintuitive, and I'd recommend anyone checking out that section of Gomorrah Brachas. It's really very, very cool. Um, anyway, so, so the Baal term explains that the bird that gets killed means that that disorder that's within you is gone now. So that's a very positive thing, right? That means that it's gone, it's dead. That, that part of you that, that did the wrong thing, it's gone. It's dead. Listen to this. The bird that gets set free is still alive. That's a reminder to the person that it can fly back at any time. That's a reminder to the person that if you do this again, it comes back to you. Isn't that interesting? 
It's interesting because it's, it's the, the logic of it. Again, this is, this is a, uh, an advertisement for learning Torah more deeply. Because on a superficial level, you may not have interpreted it that way. You know? So, okay, good. Now I want to say something else. Which is we have, um, we have a rule in Torah that the uh, sages point out. Which is that anything that appears for the negative in the Torah is true for the good 500 times. Okay? So that's something very, very important to understand. You know, and it's, it's especially important because I think that it, 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 it really counters what a lot of people's um, sort of misconceptions about Torah are. Because, because we have so many halachas, and remember, halacha is sort of very uh, toxically defined as Jewish law. And it's, that's not an incorrect definition, but it's a toxic definition. Because halacha means, comes from the word holech, means to walk. It's basically the divine flow. If one wants to be in harmony with themselves in the universe, they learn the way. It actually means the way, which, which is a very pleasant, sort of almost zen-like you know, connotations to it. But, you know, we came first, you know? You know, so it's just this idea of the natural flow, the way, okay? So, so in terms of, in terms of halacha, there's, there's a lot of halacha. And the reason, the reason in a nutshell why we have so much halacha is because we understand that there is no such thing in life as a secular moment, because God fills the entire world. Which means that wherever you go, whatever you do, you're standing before God. Which means there is no such thing as a meaningless moment. Which means there has to be a holy way to do absolutely everything. And you know, I always love the example that, you know, a lot of people don't know that there's a Torah way to put on your socks and shoes. You know? And that to me is like the, the ultimate example of this. You put on your right sock and then your left sock, your right shoe and then your left shoe. Then the process gets reversed. You tie your left shoe and then you tie your right shoe. So right sock, left sock, right shoe, left shoe. Tie your left shoe, then you tie your right shoe. All right? You know, when I give talks, I make people yell that out after me. I do. I'll probably end up doing that, you know, this week. I do, because I'll tell you something. It had such a healing effect on my own life, you know. When I was... uh, Anyway, without going through the whole story, there was a period where I was really inspired and I felt like, you know, I was younger, I was really a kid, I was like, you know, I love Torah, I really love Torah, but I was far away from keeping anything, you know, you know, any of these sort of classic mitzvahs. But someone told me how to put on my shoes and socks and I did that for a long time. And so every, and I had, I had it in mind as I was putting on my shoes and socks every morning. This is the Torah way to do it. And it really kept me so connected, you know, even when I wasn't doing anything else. Um, I'll tell you something else. We'll get to this 500 to 1 ratio in a moment. My son said something, my son asked me a question last, uh, yesterday morning. Um, we have this thing. I call it the um, Shabbos Donut Society. <laughs> and uh, we wake up early before I go to shul Shabbos morning and we have donuts and uh, learn Torah. And uh, it's very nice. And my son, I guess he's nine now, he asked me, he said to me, 
kind of came up with this on his own out of the blue, something that I never really thought of. I thought it was a really good question. He said, how come when we daven Shemona Esrei, right, the Amida prayer, we, we, you know, you take three steps backwards and then you take three steps forward. So there's lots of deep Torah connected to that. But I never heard this particular question. He said, how come you walk backwards when you say Hashem's name? Right? Because if you think about it, how can you be walking backwards while you say Hashem's name? That sounds like a, like a disrespect to Hashem, you know? So somehow this answer popped into my head as soon as he asked the question. I said, so that you should always know that when you go backwards in life, like even if you're not making progress, you're going backwards in life, you should still know that Hashem is there with you. You know? So... So, so 500 to 1. How do we learn it out? So, the rabbis point to two different verses in the Torah, two different psukim. One says that God will remember the, the bad, basically, for three to four generations. In another place, it says in the Yud Gimel Midos, God's attributes of mercy, it says that God remembers the good for 2,000 generations. So here you say the maximum of the negative remembrance is four generations. This is, the, this is not me doing the math. This is the sages. Four generations for the bad. Two thousand generations for the good. That's a 500 to one ratio for the good. So these are, these are umbrella concepts is what I'm trying to tell you. Like Reb Shlomo would, would, would say, these are cash Torahs. You have to have them in your pocket at all times. Because these are the defining aspects of Torah and of Judaism. And someone, it's very easy to get lost in all the details, and then you forget the headlines. You know, something that occurred to me, and I'm sure that, um, I'm sure this isn't, uh... anyway, the, the point is that, the point is, is that Torah, Torah starts off with the headline, and then over the generations, people like lavish, lavish it with attention to detail. And what happens is, over a period of time is, there's so many adornments added. And they're really crowns to the Torah when people come up with explanations and all the rest. But what, what often happens is, the headline concept gets lost altogether. So that when generations later, someone like me says, here's the general idea... It sounds like a great Kiddush, like a brand new thought, but it's not a brand new thought. This was the original thought. This was the basic thought, but it got lost. And so what's so ironic is that the simple truth, the very simple phrasing of the truth comes across as an amazing new insight when that was the premise all along. So, so as an example of this, it says in the Torah, before, if I were to ask you, what's the very first commandment or the very first divine directive in the Torah? If you ask people who have, you know, somewhat of a knowledge of, of, of the Torah, they'll tell you, well, let's see, the very first directive, well, I guess that's going back to Adam and Eve, um, probably don't eat from the tree of knowledge, right? That would be what most people would say. And yet, if you look, what does it say? God says, eat from every tree. Just don't eat from that tree. So in other words, the Torah starts off with a very life-affirming positive. Be out there. Be involved with the world. 
do stuff. However, understand that they're parameters. Because ultimately, this is God's world. You know? You know, it says... See, people don't like to get bossed around. But what if there's actually a boss? (laughs) You know? I mean... A person has to have, like, some self-esteem. But at the same time, they also have to have a little humility. And a little common sense, too. And, and that's just the reality of it. You know, we're, we, we might be at the head of the food chain, but we're not at the head of the God chain. It just, that's just, you know, we just have to be honest with ourselves. And that doesn't have to be, see, in, in a lot of systems of thought, that all of a sudden becomes a soul-crushing, personality-crushing, life-crushing concept. Because if I'm not calling all the shots, then I'm a slave. But that's not what it is in Torah. You know, God says, you're my partner. Here's our vision, let's perfect the world. And this is how we do it. And you make mistakes, okay, there's forgiveness. Meanwhile, I've made an incredible world for you. You know, so people have to... People have to be real, you know? Okay. So, 500 to 1. So, where are we going with this? So, someone asked... It, so, this is one of the headlines. Just like, eat from all of the trees is one of the headlines, but don't eat from that tree. 500 to 1. Anytime there's something negative, there's something more true 500 times so. Okay? So, so I want to apply that to this concept of tsaras, getting back to that, of the... sort of the... Um, you know, this... this, this uh, this malady, the sickness that comes from speaking Lashon Hara. So, so, so there's an interesting, there's an interesting dynamic that happens di- diagnostically, which goes like this: someone can be walking around with saras, with this disorder, and if you contact someone, you you spread this spiritual impurity to other people, and it just person has to be isolated. Actually, one of the greatest terms I ever heard from Reb Shlomo is explaining that. Why would a person, as part of their healing, have to be taken and removed from the camp of Israel? They had to be put on the outside of the camp as part of their healing process if they spoke um, Lashon Hara, if they, you know, misused speech. Listen to this insight. Really, it's, it's like heartbreaking, but, you know, it's so real. When you hear this, it will really help you not to speak Lashon Hara if you have a... Uh, if you have an issue with that. So Reb Shlomo says, when someone speaks Lashon Hara, you know what they're doing? Now, this is not necessarily conscious. They're not necessarily thinking this in their mind when they do it. But what are they doing? They're trying to take that person's friends away from them. Right? Think about it. Because if you say, that person's a cheater, or that person's this, or that person's that, what effect does that have on a third party? The third party says, I don't want to be friends with that person. That's, that is the emotional life math that's going on. And it's not necessarily communicated or put in those terms, but that's what goes on. So, so Reb Shlomo says like this, since you try to take that person's friends away from them, you go and be alone all by yourself on the outside of the camp. And just see how that feels not to have anyone. See how that feels. And then when you realize, you know what, I don't want to be all alone. 
So then you think to yourself, you know something? So maybe I'll be more careful next time I talk. Something beautiful, you know? So someone can be walking around with saras, and they've got this, you know, it starts off as a small spot on their skin. And theoretically, they could be spreading it, right? And they don't even know that they have saras. But, listen to this, not, not the case. Why? Because it isn't officially saras until, someone's, until a Kohen says, oh, that's saras. Only when he says, that's saras, does it become saras and the person has it and then therefore has to be isolated and treated and, and go through the, the various stages of the spiritual healing that the, uh, that the Torah prescribes. So, this is also on another level, on a deeper level, and we're going to get to this on a much deeper level in a, in a, in a few minutes, Kedway. Speech creates reality. Speech creates reality. And so you see a perfect example of it right here. When the Kohen says, that's Saras, it becomes Saras. Only then, officially. Okay? So I was thinking to myself, so that sounds like a negative thing. So where do you see the positive part of that, right? Because we just have this principle that it's true 500 times for the good. So I thought to myself, how many people are walking around with wonderful qualities about themselves and they don't even know about it? They've got these wonderful qualities about themselves, but until someone says, you know what, you're a great guy. You know what, you're really good at that. You know what, I love the way you did this. They don't know about it. So feel free to tell other people how good a job they're doing. <laughs> if you see something nice about someone, tell them. Because it makes it real, it brings it into the world, and a lot of times they don't even know it about themselves. You know? So, so let's, go, let's go deeper. Because one of the things that, that's been blowing my mind, and I've said it on the, uh, the last few talks, I just keep on sort of seeing new examples of this, and it just makes me thrilled. I don't know how else to, to put it. Is this letter Bays inside the letter Peck? Right? And we know, and the Ramban brings it in the introduction of uh, the Chumash, the Ramban says that the Torah is black fire written on white fire. Okay? So, you know, I, I was uh, learning with someone recently, and they, put, they, they were putting a, a talus on, and they were wrapping themselves in the talus, you know, and they had to fill in on the black straps. And I was showing them how the tzitzis, pointing out how the tzitzis represents all the mitzvahs. Because the word tzitzi, the sages say, adds up to 600. Okay? And then there are five knots and eight strings. So five and eight is 13. So 600 plus 13 is 613. So there you see how the tzitzis equals all the commandments. And, and we were saying that basically the idea of enwrapping yourself in a talus is like the white fire over the black fire, right? Because your, your tefillin is like the black fire. So it's like the white fire around the black fire. And it, it, it represents the whole Torah, right? You're wrapping yourselves 
in like a in like a Torah scroll, you know. So, so we have just to show you how infinite the Torah is. The Torah is so infinite; it's so infinite that we actually have the letter Bayes in white fire in the middle of the black fire of the letter Pei. Okay? Now, if you want to see an example of this, if you want to actually see a chart of this, it's in one of the greatest books in the world. I highly recommend it. If you don't have it, run to get this book. It's called The Wisdom of the Hebrew Alphabet. It's published by Art Scroll, by Rabbi Monk. It's a collection. It goes letter by letter. It's a collection of Gemars and Zohars and Midrashim and unbelievable, unbelievable. It's, it's fantastic. And you'll see a picture in the chapter on the letter Pei. You'll see the white base, the white letter base that's contained in the belly of the letter Pei. Okay? Not only that, not only that, but I wasn't sort of satisfied with that. I was like, all right, because they gave, bless you, they gave, a, they gave a halachic source for this. So I said, you know, this is not just something that someone observed. It was brought down as halacha. So I, I, I was in the kolel, I was like, okay, I have to see it. So, so, so it's in the Mishnah Brewer, which is sort of our contemporary sort of last word on halacha. And the Mishnah Brewer brings it, this letter B's inside the letter Pei, that it, the letter P must be drawn that way. It's not a nice thing or, look, you can almost say, hey, look, if you look closely, there's the base. No. It's the halacha that the P must be written in a way that there's a base revealed in the middle. It's halacha. Okay, so, with, so obviously the sages are up to, you know, and of course it says that Hashem created the world with the letters, so there's a lot of stuff going on. Okay, so now I had mentioned beforehand that speech creates reality. You say something like, like I want you to give the example, if there's a guy, an old man, bent over, unshaven, in sort of like raggy clothes, right? And I told you, that guy has $50 million. I promise you, you'll treat him differently. (laughs) I promise you. (laughs) I promise you. I mean, if you want a very basic, simple example of how speech creates reality, okay? So... So, so, the, so it says that Hashem spoke the world into existence. And by the way, if you want to hear something beautiful, Reb Shlomo says Hashem sang the world into existence. You know? So that's, that's awesome. That's actually awesome. And by the way, I saw in Gomorrah Chagiga, you ready for this? That the angels, while they're serving in heaven, they're singing constantly. They're singing the entire time that they're serving in heaven. Okay? You know, one of the things, we, we have a minion here in Los Angeles. Uh, if you haven't come, you have to come and visit, which is the, it's called the Happy Minion of Los Angeles. And um, we had our first banquet uh, last year. And one, one of, I had a chance to say a couple words. Actually, there were about 40 speakers at that banquet. <laughs> and to tell you how good a banquet it was, someone came up to me afterwards and said, there were so few speakers. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been to a banquet with more speakers. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's emblematic of the minion. Everyone spoke from the heart, so it didn't feel like speeches. You know what I mean? So it was really very special. So anyway, 
uh, one of the things that I said was that, 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 that the happy meaning, basically, one of our contributions is, is to dare to suggest that this is normal, what we're doing. You know, sometimes people come and they're like, they're dancing, they're singing, what are they doing? But what's, what's the point? The, the point is, is that, yes, this is right. The angels, it says in the Gomorrah, the angels in heaven the entire time they're serving, they're singing the entire time. Okay? So, anyway. So, let's get back to this letter Pei. And the, the bays in white fire in the middle of the letter Pei. So, 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 we said that Hashem spoke or sang the world into existence. Pei can be spelled, the letter Pei can be spelled pei hey which is how you spell pet, which is how you spell mouth. The bays is the bays of Breshit in the middle. Meaning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So you actually see in this dynamic between the pay and the bays inside it, the entire creation of the entire world. The pay, peh, Hashem speaking or singing the bays, the world, the Torah into existence. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Alright, so now, now, I came across something else. Because there are other scribal traditions, and that, that's the normal pay, what we just said. That's the normal pay. Now, there are other scribal traditions in terms of how to write the letter pay in certain circumstances. Alright, so now let me tell you, now I'm drawing right now from a diagram, another great uh, series of books, um, it's, a, it's a set, it's the Baal HaTurim on Chumash, Art Scroll puts it out, if you're into Gematria, this is the headquarters, um, the Baal HaTurim was a Rishon and one of the all-time greatest rabbis, and uh, it's called the Davis Edition, I highly, highly recommend it, it's five volumes. So, so if you look over here on page uh, 1,291, it's five volumes, so each of the volumes is slim, so it don't, it's not like a 90-pound book. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I saw like an, a, I think a, a 70-pound book. It was about 70 pounds. <laughs> it was the photographs of Muhammad Ali, put out by this company called Tashin. It's enormous. I never saw such a big book. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, this is in, in Vayikra. It's um, chapter 26, verse 1. There's a scribal tradition on how to write the letter pay there of the word upesel. So, so, so you write the pay in a different way for this word upesel. What is Upesel mean a statue. This is something that's used for a vodazora, for idol worship. Okay? So it says, you shall not make idols for yourself. And a statue or a pillar you shall not erect for yourselves, and in your land you shall not in place a flooring stone upon which to prostrate yourself. I am Hashem your God. By the way, if you ever notice in many shuls on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, they hand out little like napkins or things like that around the time that you're supposed to bow down. And the reason why they do that is because sometimes you have a stone floor or a wood floor. And so as not to violate this injunction, like you're bowing down to stone or wood, if you put this little sort of interruption 
between that and your knees, you're able to sort of keep this, this, uh, this thing. So whether technically you have to do that, I'm not sure what the actual halakha is, but it's a widespread practice and this is what it's based on. Okay, but anyway, here's a, one of the many injunctions in the Torah against idol worship, okay? So, so the word here for upesel, the word for pesel, and I showed most of you this before the, the talk began so you could see, again at home, if you, it, it might be a little bit hard to visualize this, but um, if you get the if you get this uh, the the volume of Vayikra, it's on page twelve ninety one, and you'll see a beautiful diagram that that shows this. You'll see the following: that the pay is written in such a way where the base is no longer a base, where the bit where the where the the uh, the line underneath the base, which extends to the. I have left-right confusion. That's a nice way of saying I don't know my left from my right. <laughs> um, the little tail, so to speak, that extends to the right of the bays gets nipped off in the pay that's used for the word pestle, which means idol. Okay? Now listen to how cool this is, okay? Because idol worship, someone who's guilty of idol worship, it said about that person that they're breaking all 613 of the mitzvahs. They're breaking the entire Torah if they're guilty of idol worship. So look how this word pay for idol, pestle, which means idol, is written with the letter bays being corrupted. That the bays is no longer a bays. Now what did we say that that letter bays inside the pay stands for? The bays of Rashid, the Torah itself. So you see, when this, when idol worship happens, the entire Torah gets knocked out. Because, because that's the bays of Rashid, that's the bays, that's the first letter of the Torah itself. Amazing thing. Amazing thing. Not only that, but I noticed, if you actually, that little, I'm calling it a tail, it's on the base of the letter bays, the thing that makes a base look like a base as opposed to a nun, say, right? That little extension to the right. That's actually, if you think about it, the first bit of ink in the Torah. Right? And it's pointing. It's pointing behind the base. In other words, it's pointing to the Creator. And so when the pay is the pay of idol worship that little pointing to God gets removed. Because that's what idol worship does. It sort of like bludgeons our awareness, or desensitizes our awareness of God, takes it away. Okay, so, so that's, um, that's one adventure in the letter pay. Let's have another one right now. <laughs> We've got another scribal tradition which is there's something called the double pay, or the pay within the pay. All right, and again, those of you who uh, were, were here before we started saw it up close. What happens is, if you can imagine the letter pay, it curls into the middle, but in the double pay, it keeps on curling until it makes a second pay. All right, so you've got a pay within a pay, a double pay. 
Now, the truth is, is that I'm still trying to understand the depths of that. <laughs> but I can share with you some preliminary, some preliminary thoughts on it, if you'll permit me. Now, it's called a pei kufula, by the way. Um, that's how you say it in Hebrew, okay? So, um, now, where is this pay? Now, it's much deeper than what I'm about to tell you, but I'm just going to, I don't want to leave you hanging, so I'm just going to give you a little bit on it, okay? So, what is this pay within the pay? Well, interestingly, interestingly, it's on the, uh, it's on the word pene of pene hasela. And this is like one of the, again, one of the climactic moments in the whole Torah. Um... You know, I was I was sharing one of these things with 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 the son that I mentioned earlier. Uh, we were having we were having lunch, and I was telling him this, and I was just about to start, and he said, I- "I'm sorry to interrupt at this dramatic moment." He's <laughs> <laughs> like nine. I was like, "Cracked me up, cracked me up." <laughs> so <laughs> anyway. Um, so this is, where's, where does this pay within the pay, this double pay occur right when Moshe is about to hit the rock? Right? When he's going to be told now that he doesn't get to go into the land of Israel. So, I mean, that's, you know, the stakes are about as high as they get in the Torah at this point. And this is right before it happens. Okay? So... So there's a miracle, a, a category of miracle that takes place in the Torah in a, in, a, in a couple of different places. I know of two instances of it. There, there may be more. Where a very large thing miraculously fits in a very small space. One example is during the plagues, Aaron is told to take two handfuls of um, uh, dirt from the ground and to throw them up in the air. And it says, I'm paraphrasing, but it says he took the, he, he took the handfuls into his hand. It's like, whoop, whoop, <laughs> stop right there, whoop. In other words, two handfuls fit into one hand, which is a miracle, because last time I checked, only one handful fits into one hand, by definition. So, so that's, that was a miracle, okay? Now, another example is over here, it says, Hashem, this is, uh, if you want to look it up, it's in Parshish uh, Chukas, in, in Sefer Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, chapter 20, um, verse, um, well, it's in verse 10, where the word Pinay, the double pay is, but I'm going to read a little bit earlier. It says, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, take the staff and gather the assembly, uh, you and your brother, and speak to the rock before their eyes that it should give its water. All right? And you know what happens. Moshe doesn't speak to the rock. He hits the rock, and then all sorts of terrible consequences happen. What's so fascinating is, Hashem explains a little bit later, a few verses later, after Moshe hits the rock, that Hashem wanted to do a sanctification of His name that didn't take place that would have been one of the great sanctifications of God's name for all of eternity. Which is that if Moshe had spoken to the rock, and remember, a miracle took place. Just uh, We're a little ahead of ourselves. Let me just backtrack one moment. How can the entire nation of Israel stand in front of one rock? 
So this was the miracle that the sages explained took place. All of Israel was able to miraculously fit and get basically front row seats in front of the rock. Okay, that's the large space fitting into a small space. Okay? So in other words, God made a miracle in order for this sanctification that was about to take place, I mean, had it gone properly, to really work. You understand? In other words, in, in, in Hashem's mind, like a lot of people, and it's a fair question, but I'm just trying to address the other side of it right now. A lot of people say, it's so unfair, Moshe was the greatest servant in, in history, and he hits the rock instead of speaking to the rock. What was so terrible? Why couldn't he go into Israel? Okay, these are all fair questions, and this is a whole, a whole field of study in itself in the Torah. And that's, that's all fine. But leaving those questions aside for a moment, just take it from Hashem's point of view from one moment. Hashem had very, something very specific in mind and created an actual miracle for His intended cause to actually take place. He created a miracle where everyone, all of Israel, had a front row seat in front of this rock, which is miraculous, okay? Now, what was supposed to take place? For all time, okay, Moshe was supposed to say rock. Well, actually, you want to hear something totally intense? What was Moshe supposed to say to the rock? Did you ever ask yourself that question? I have an answer, believe it or not. And it's not my own, which is even better. <laughs> This comes from Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver, who was in the direct inner circle of students, like a generation, probably two generations from the Vilna Gon, who is privileged to, his, uh, to the Vilna Gon's uh, Masorah of Kabbalah. So he was a recipient of the Kabbalah of the Vilna Gon, okay? So that's, this is a fantastic source. He says what Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to do was to teach the rock a Mishnah. Can you imagine he was supposed to teach Torah to the rock and then the rock was going to give off water? And it gives me the chills. Because like, I never even, that question never even occurred to me, much less having an answer to it. What was Moshe supposed to say to the rock? I always thought he was supposed to say, Hey rock! <laughs> I'll have some water. <laughs> he was supposed to teach it a Mishnah. Amazing, you can see it, it's in, uh, it's in uh, I forget, it's either Or Torah or Torah Or, that's the name of the book, it's a, it's a commentary on the Milo Satora, um, but that, it's, it's, it's in there, if you want to see it. So, anyway, um, so, so what's the point? The point is, here, here's the point, here was the sanctification that didn't happen, that Hashem wanted it to happen, that could have happened, or one level of it anyway, which is that for all time, people would have said, a rock listens to the word of God. You don't listen to the word of God? A rock listens to the word of God. Right? So somehow that didn't get communicated. And again, that, that's, that, now that really is my, that, that one was, is my conclusion, what, what the sanctification was supposed to be. But it seems like, if there are other answers, that would probably be included among them. You know, so. Alright, so, I wish this was all leading to a very great explanation of the pay within the pay. It's not, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, I apologize in advance for the anticlimactic thought that's about to come. But, on a very basic level, 
How can a pay fit inside of a pay? In other words, something sort of, so to speak, miraculous is happening. So the fact that everyone is before the rock, and this is showing how a large group can fit into a small space, it is logical that that, that would be expressed in the, in the shape of the letter itself, this pay within a pay, a large thing within a small thing. Okay. As promised, a little disappointing. <laughs> but nonetheless, but, but we'll, we'll call that the beginning of the thought. We'll call that the beginning of the thought. And then I'm sure, I'm sure uh, we can think more about it and, and try to come up with some, uh, some deeper things. Um, all right, well, listen, we're, we're, we're getting to the, uh, the end here. So, so um, thanks for coming. Have a, have a great week. Um, remember to say positive things to people. Remember, speech creates reality. And you can say positive things to your thought, to yourself as well. You know, like, um, um, maybe I'm not in a crisis. <laughs> okay. Have a, have a great week. <laughs>